0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs.
1: Welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with the fabulous Tina Spring. And today we decided to talk about consent. Your dog's consent for activities. So there was this great little article in the April 2022 Whole dog journal called Does Your Dog Opt In by Pat Miller? And it's about asking your dog how they feel about any given activity. And it could be an activity that you're having fun, or it could be, you know, customary care activity. It could be nail trimming, it could be grooming, it could be do you want to run through agility. And so one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is how do you decode your dog's information? What are the, how do you read your dog? How do you ask for consent on something? For me, it was interesting. I have one quick little example about consent and non-consent with Zuzu. When I first got Zuzu, she discovered uh, out at her cottage on the private road, there's these culverts, and they're basically corrugated steel tubes that run under the road, and she loved running through them she discovered them herself and she would run through these very wet agility tunnels and she had a grand time doing that so i thought oh i will take her to agility and i will post the video of her doing agility i can run the agility course faster than she can because the agility course itself was kind of intimidating she would try things you know i'd ask her to go through the tunnel and she would and she'd go she'd very hesitantly go up the ramp and down or on the teeter, and she kind of wove through it, she found that the agility equipment and being in an agility class was much harder for her. And I feel like while she did it, because I asked her to, and she might've enjoyed some of it, there wasn't the abandon and joy of running through the tunnel in agility class like there was running through the tunnel in the backyard or through the culverts. She clearly indicated to me that this was something that was okay, but not thrilling. So we took, I think, one, maybe two classes of agility because we tried a couple different equipment. I thought she tried a couple different pieces of equipment. She might enjoy it. And then I was like, no, we're not going to do this again because it's not something that she's consenting to and saying I'm having a really good time. It's more like, okay, mom, I'll go to class with you because I get treats and I will go through the tunnel. But it's not something she really consented to. But whereas the culverts, she loved because she chose to do that. And so I think it's interesting. You can ask your dog, do you want to do something? And then you kind of have to listen to what they're saying to you. So one of the things that's on here is a consent test. They give, she gives you signs that your dog likes petting, signs that your dog doesn't like petting. There's a consent test for petting. And then she also gives you a five-step approach to how to ask for consent. Now, I know this is a really important thing for you, Tina. I know that you do this a lot with your dogs. And so I wanted to get your opinion on how important is it to ask your dog to opt in? And how do you know when your dog has said yes?
0: Well, I I think to be fair, our dogs always have the option to say no and will say no, whether we think they should be allowed to do that or not, right? When we look at bite statistics and where conflict occurs, I think those dogs are pretty clearly saying no thank you and are saying it awfully loudly. Yes, absolutely. And I'm what's called a, a crossover trainer. So I was raised in dog obedience at a time when operant conditioning wasn't really the typical way that one trained a dog, right? There was a lot of Punishing dogs for getting it wrong and removing punishment when dogs got it right. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, this will probably make some people angry. I don't think that all of those methods are abusive. They're not. Lots and lots of dogs learned perfectly well that way. But surely we can do it in a kinder, gentler way. So what I would say is I was raised in a household where the dogs were expected to do what we told them to do. The same way that kids were expected to do what you were told to do. And there wasn't a lot of consideration for how the dog might feel about it. In the end, though, I think the dogs very clearly communicated how they felt about things based on how responsive and bonded and happy they were. So my parents have been breeding and showing dogs since 1979 there were lots of dogs who did really great at a class and really great at a match. And the moment you took them into the show ring, they acted like they were, you know, a rocking horse and wouldn't stack and wouldn't stand still and didn't want to be touched. And I would assume that that was a dog saying, I'm overwhelmed and I'm uncomfortable in this situation. And I mean, there's no amount of forcing a dog that's really going to let them be gone over by a judge if they don't want to be touched, right? Things can escalate quite quickly. So I think there are a lot of us who struggle a little bit. I know I did in the beginning with thanking a dog as much for a no thank you as I do for a yes please. It can be something I think is difficult for families to grapple with, especially If like you're not eyeballs deep into all of the dog trainer stuff, like you're just a typical person who's trying to make it through your day. Right, right. I agree. There are always going to be emergencies where in the end we have to usurp potentially a dog or a cat or a kid or another human's authority over themselves. I just don't think that we should necessarily use it as often as we do.
1: I would agree. The other thing I would also say too, is that the more you sort of work with your dog rather than on your dog, right? So you're working to develop consent and communication with your dog. When the time comes that you need to usurp your authority and, you know, grab them and do whatever, it's not going to be as stressful for them because you've built part of asking consent for your dog is is a way in which you build a bond and communication and trust between one another. So when you've built that trust with your dog, and they can say yes or no on something, the time when you really have to because they're injured or whatever, you have to sort of take over, might be less stressful for them because you've built a trusting bond with them.
0: So I mean, in the beginning, when people talk to me about this idea, I was probably pretty resistant. I was like, no dogs, like you have to be able to put your hands on them and you have to be able to do this and you have to be able to do that. And I don't even remember who talked to me about it, but the person who finally got me really chewing on it more and marinating in it more talked about a study about morphine that now most of us are familiar. If someone's hospitalized, they're often given morphine on a button that they have agency over. And in the beginning, the basic belief among medical professionals was that that was going to be awful, right? We were going to have all these drunk, high, morphine-addicted people running around and overdosing and all this stuff because they had agency in the hospital. When they actually put it into practice, what they found was because patients could manage their own care nearly instantaneously... They used less of the drug and put up with more discomfort. And so we actually ended up with a lower incidence of someone abusing morphine and becoming addicted. That was really compelling to me. And one of the things I would say when I'm working with kind of old school families who maybe don't have this consent idea so much built in with their dog, um, we talk about that. We talk about that the fear I think, at least for me, was that if I gave my dog the opportunity to opt out, that meant that they would never behave and never opt in. And I would end up with some recalcitrant jerk of a dog who we couldn't do anything. Quite the opposite has ended up being what manifests. So my experience is over you know, doing this many, many years is that the better we get, at saying, "Are you sure? Is this good for you? How is this for you? Do you want to do this?" The more our dogs will stretch for us and be willing to do things that honestly I don't think you'd get done just by force alone.
1: Well, I was going to say in the cooperative care book that we have talked about in the past, and we can put a, a link to it as well. Haven't you found in working through the cooperative care book that that's exactly it? That when you are trying to, you like you show them the nail clipper, and it's like. Mm. Not feeling like it right now. Okay, that's fine. We'll put it down. And when you feel like you have agency, when the dog feels like anybody, I think, who feels like they have control over the situation is therefore more willing to be gracious about the situation. And so haven't you found that to be true when you're working on cooperative care issues such as that?
0: Yes, absolutely. I also found it to be true with my foster children and my daughter and my partner and the people that I get to work with and my customers, right? There's a lot more grace. Like if I have a headache, I'm not going to be at my top. I'm going to give you the best that I have to give, but I'm not at my best. Most people are really gracious about that if you tag it for them. I'm happy to accommodate things to make it easier for a learner. And so I've ended up using a lot of phrases like you have to feed the dog anyway, So why not get something for it, right? Like, why not work on the dog choosing to engage in the activity? Honestly, it makes us more fun for our dogs, right? I'm not going to go back to a dental hygienist who, when I close my mouth because my neck hurts, tries to pry my jaw open with a tongue depressor in order to gain access to my teeth. I'm a grouchy old woman. That's not going to work very many times before you know, Mildred's going to have a problem. So I wonder how many dogs in the past have been forced to do things that resulted in conflict that that could have very easily been navigated a different way and had much less dire consequences for the dog and the people. Right, right. I agree with that completely. I was thinking about,
1: so somebody's going to say, well, that's great. I'm, I'm more than happy to ask my dog if they want to do this, but how do I know when they say yes? You know, when you do a consent test, what are we looking for? So I think people read their dogs better than they think they do. They understand dog body language and each dog has its own way of communicating whether or not I'm interested in doing something. But I think there are some general things that you can do. For example, in her consent test, she says signs that your dog likes petting one of the things that I find is is a really key thing is if the dog moves into your space. So if I stand there and I look at at Zuzu and she comes over and she, she does this, we don't actually go for a walk through Granville. We go through a lean because every, every new person she meets, she has to go up and lean against, right. And ask to be petted. And that's a pretty clear indication that I want to be petted. So dogs that actually move into your space, is a way of saying, yes, I want to have contact with you. And I think you can think about the same thing when you're asking them something like, are you willing to let me trim your nail? If the dog leans back, turns their head, moves away, pulls their paw back, retracting from you, they're saying, no, this is not something I'm comfortable with right now. But if they move towards you, allow you to pick they you pick up their paw, and they relax into it, or maybe even, Put their paw on your arm. That's a way of saying, yes, I want to make contact with you. Look for a relaxed look to their face. If the mouth is is open, like you want sort of that happy lab look, as opposed to a, a tightly closed mouth and the dog avoiding eye contact and ears pressed back, those are all dogs saying, I'm getting uncomfortable. But that kind of squinty, smooshy-eyed look that a dog gets, you like, oh, I love us.
0: There you That's something to look for. So I think one of the things that can be helpful, or at least has been for my clients, has been reflected back to me, is shooting some video. Yes. So that you can go back and look at it, right? So just yesterday, actually, so today we're recording on the 27th. So on the 26th, on Dr. Jones's Cooperative Care Facebook group, someone posted a video of a very, very, very young puppy getting its first toenail trim. And the person who posted it, I don't know if it was their video or if someone had sent them a video, but they videoed the session of cutting this boober baby puppy toenails, right? And part of the value of that was that another person on the forum said stress signaling started at the 30 second or 36 second mark. And these were the things that the puppy did, like the puppy squirmed, the puppy turned its head away, it lip licked, it whale eyed, it did this, it did that, it increased tension in its feet, right? So when we shoot video, one of the advantages of that, especially with today's technology, like even your phone is a pretty fantastic video camera. You can blow that up on your large screen TV and go frame by frame and really observe what your dog is doing. I will tell you, dog trainers are as guilty about this as everyone else. We don't like to see stress in our own animals. So we try to explain it away. So, you know, everybody is like, oh, dog trainer says dogs don't like hugs. And we all think our dog is the exception to the rule. Right. So I'm like, okay, we'll have a grown up in the household. Give your dog a hug and video your dog's face. Does he look like he just got an enormous tax bill or does he look like he's enjoying it like empirically? And honestly, this is really great work for kiddos anyway. There's been a bunch of research about that with the advent of so much screen time, children, humans seem to be losing the inability of reading body language and facial features and how what those faces are saying to them in nonverbal communication. So one of the ways that I usually started, it, this was from Colleen, I think, but I got one of those dog-a-day calendars and I use it with kids all the time.
1: I have used that a lot as well. It's
0: fabulous. It's really fun, right? Because you can make a game.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of stressed dogs in those dog-a-day catalogs is what I have found.
0: Mine's not too bad. Mine's not too bad. I always do it as, okay, first, make the face the dog is making, if that's possible. And then what do you think the dog is feeling? And then what do we see in the photo? Like, what do we think the story might be? Right? It doesn't have to be the inquisition. It could just be like, this dog is wearing a sweater, and he looks like he got an enormous tax bill. He looks like he'd rather be anywhere, like on top of a volcano, instead of in this silly sweater, like the Frenchie looks stressed. So we can talk about what we're seeing. Like, does he look like mom when she's getting annoyed finding out about, you know, she needs six dozen cupcakes tomorrow morning at 8am? Is it the similar face? Right? So It blesses our kids and ourselves, not just in our interactions with our own dogs, but interactions with the greater world. I think that there can be a lot of resistance to the idea of consent, because I think a lot of times it can feel emotionally loaded for people, right? Yes, I I agree. I often say, everyone is down with consent until they get a no. Right.
1: Well, I also think one of the things to remember is that dogs can also have mixed signals. You know, I mean, there are times where I feel mixed about something. It's like, yeah, I kind of want to do that, but no, I kind of don't. And I think it's important to remember with our dogs that we may not always get completely clear yeses and completely clear noes. That's why I think it's really important to watch your dog, you know, and have an understanding of what your dog, when you know your dog is really happy and having a good time, what does that look like? What are the facial expressions? What's the body language? How is he moving? How is he interacting with you and with others? And when you know he really doesn't want to do something, take note of that, because there's going to be times when it's in between. And I think it's important to remember that if the dog is in between, like, okay, Um, I'm kind of wiggling because I'm happy, but my mouth is closed and I'm lip licking and I'm not looking you in the eye. You're giving me some mixed signals. And I think one of the things to remember about consent is most of the things we are asking our dogs to do are not things that require immediate consent. And so if you're working with your dog and you're getting some mixed signals, slow things down a little bit. If you're asking him to do something like nails, Or you're asking him to, I don't know, put a sweater on or whatever. Just slow things down and take a break. You know, watch him. Let him calm down. Ask him again. Because if you give him some room to to breathe, he might well say yes. Or he might clarify things and say no. And that would be okay too. But that's
0: about all sorts of things. It's do you want a cookie? Would you like to go outside? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to get on the bed? We ask our dogs questions all day long, right? The same way that we ask one another all day long. So it's not as big a deal, I think, as people think it is. Consent isn't just about, can I do a blood draw? Right. Right. Consent for me is just checking in with my dog to say, how is this for you? And then responding appropriately to that. So this is the example I use for Christopher and I. Right? Christopher is a jazz percussionist. I don't really enjoy drunk people chaos or loud noise. So Mardi Gras sounds absolutely lovely to him. It it sounds great. To me, that just sounds awful. So there's a couple of choices. One, me thinking it's awful doesn't mean he shouldn't be allowed to go. He could go with someone who would enjoy the experience and add amazing things to that, or he could condition me. He could take me to New Orleans a whole bunch of times and I don't know, take me on a ghost tour, take me on cemetery tours or find something about that experience, that environment that I love and use that to bridge the gap so that I'm willing to put up with something that maybe's not totally incom- like take me to go see Galactic. I'm going to be all over that. Cause I love that band. I fell in love with them separate from the city, but to see them in New Orleans would be amazing. So that's the same kind of thing. We do this navigation and negotiation all day long with one another, our dogs do it too. If you talk to your dog and they turn and walk down the hallway and go lay under the bed, that was a pretty clear no. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, I, you know,
1: it's kind of like like I said, with with Zuzu and the um agility stuff when we were doing it at home and I la- laid out a ladder for her to walk through, she really had a good time. She'd kind of run out and run over to the ladder, like, are we going to do this? And when I was my weave poles were toilet plungers. I bought a bunch of cheap toilet plungers and lined them up in the hallway, and she had a grand time running through those. She didn't really like doing it in class. And so it was really interesting to me because, Remember, consent, it's not just about a thing. It can also be about, you know, a place and a time. You know, she loves running through the agility tunnel in the backyard, not the agility tunnels as much in class. And so remember that consent can change with location and time and experience.
0: Well, and age. I mean, if you want me to squat down, when I was 18, that was no big deal at 52, I'll do it once, but somebody's going to have to come help me get up. So part of it is our dogs aren't static either. And to be clear, I will say this. So one of the ways that I knew that Marco was very ill was that he asked to get on the bed. And when I said, okay, come on up, he said, I can't. It hurts. Because I'm careful about reading what my dog is saying I knew that he needed medical care immediately you know
1: it's funny because just after that Brad and I had been on a spring break and we came back and Zuzu normally jumps on the bed when I go to bed but she was struggling to jump on the bed and I'm like that's odd and when she did it two nights in a row I was at the vet the next day and it turns out that um and because she's a flat-coated retriever and they, they prone towards histiocytic sarcoma and it comes in their joints, it's, I was like, I'm not messing with this. I'm not taking any chances. Well, it just turned out that she actually had a bit of a displaced disc in her back. And we got her on some steroids. And I now have a stool by the bed so or a footstool. So she jumps on the footstool and then on the bed. But yeah, it's knowing what your dog normally says yes to. And then stop saying yes to can be an indication that something is wrong. So it's it's kind of funny that you that Marco and Zuzu had very similar sort of things. And, uh, you know, we were able to respond to them quickly. So that's an important part of consent, too, is, is knowing that, yes, I usually say yes to this. And now I'm saying no, that might raise a red flag for you as well.
0: Amen. It's kind of like knowing when your kid's sick or when your kid's heart's sick. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know, this morning. So I woke up in the middle of the night because there's an issue with the house that's been niggling away at me. And I'm like, okay, if my anxiety about this is so high that I'm not sleeping, like, that's silly. I need to talk to Christopher about it. So this morning we get up and I'm like, hey, so how about a weird conversation first thing in the morning? I got this going on, right? So it was a weird first thing in the morning conversation. Nonetheless, it's been weighing on me and that's evidenced by the fact that I'm waking up in the middle of the night with it. Like that's pretty significant levels of anxiety for me. So one, giving it to him, communicating it lowers my anxiety. It also doesn't let it all continue to go on without talking about it. It's something we've probably should have talked about five years ago. And I'm not mad at Christopher, but if I continue to lose sleep over it and to be stressing about it, I potentially could start building a case that like Christopher's ignoring this thing and he just doesn't care. And we can go into like some silly ridiculous rabbit hole. So I think it's the same thing with the dog. I have seen lots of people, not lots. I've seen people over time say a dog is stubborn when a dog pretty obviously has pain. And when we run that down, we find out the dog has pain and then the people have grief because they didn't know their dog was in pain. Right. Or, calling a dog stubborn that the dog can't hear you. For goodness sakes, of course, he's not coming when called, right? Or his vision's changed. So I think for me, this consent piece is an awful lot about being a better partner, not just to my dog, but to the greater world around me. Now, the guy cut me off in traffic. I'm going to say a little blessing for him and let him go on his way. But I don't want that to ruin my day either. Jen Shryock has a little quick line that is invites decrease bites. And I, I wrestle with that a little bit and I love me some Jen Shryock, but this isn't about bites. It isn't about bites. It's about like, we can love them better. We can teach them to love us better, right? If we don't listen until they're giving us really huge signals, Man, we're missing the magic.
1: Right. And then they're going to keep going to the really huge signals. They're going to keep going to the growling and the biting and the air snapping because they feel as if they can't communicate to us in any other way. And I don't want my dog to feel like I have to go to the big guns every time I'm trying to tell her something. So I think that honing your communication with your dog will also help to keep things on a much more copacetic level. The other thing I find, too, is that when I have learned to accept when the dog says no, then the dog is a little bit better about when I say no. Like my granddaughter, Sophia, is here with me this week, and she and I took the dogs over to a nearby preserve. And they ran in the mud and the creek and they had a glorious time and they came back and they were very wet. So they were outside for a little while and then I put them in crates and let them have Kongs. And then she and I were sitting in our library reading and they wanted to get on the couch with me and I thought they were still too wet. So I said, no. And they went, okay, fine. We'll lay down on the towels, mom. But if, You are willing to let them say yes and no. I find that they're more cooperative when I say no. And that's really nice on my part. Yes.
0: And we're not saying not to give them guidance. Right. Right. Absolutely. We're not saying not to prepare them for the world. Right. But I think most little girls, I'm going to assume that most of the people listening are women. So I'm going to make that assumption. It may be completely wrong. And maybe this happens to sweet baby boys too. I just am a girl and I know that it happened to me. I remember vividly being told that it didn't hurt when someone was combing or brushing out my hair. And frankly, it wasn't their scalp. They weren't the best person to assess whether or not what they were doing was comfortable or uncomfortable. I am not, generally speaking, a dramatic individual who walks around being a delicate flower going ouch, ouch, ouch about everything. Actually, I have a pretty decent pain threshold. So I can remember being dismissed when I said, like, hey, that hurts. And being told, like, basically, suck it up, buttercup. Like, we're doing this. And that, frankly, did not improve my relationship with any of those individuals. Right. But most girls have experienced that. Absolutely. Right? I've lost a bunch of weight. When Christopher hugs me, he hurts me every single time, not because he's a jerk, just because I don't have as much padding as I used to have. So part of the renavigation is for me to go like, hey, that's too much pressure, big guy. You're stronger than you think. Right? It doesn't mean that I hate him. (laughs) It just means we're recalibrating. That's right. It doesn't mean that
1: there aren't times that you feel like you might hate him, but that's not one of them, and that's not why. Right.
0: Right. And we're joking, yes. of course. Like, I mean, we all have times in all relationships. Heck, most of them I have with myself that I'm like, I'm a jerk and I should stop talking to me. So yes, this consent idea, it's not as foreign as it may seem at the front end. The reality is your dog comes when called or not. That's consent, right? You ask your dog to sit, even if you're physically forcing them into the position, which I would encourage you to rethink, how much would you enjoy it if I folded you up and put you in a sit? That's pretty spectacularly rude. But even if you're going to do it that way, in the end, your dog has the ability, even an itty bitty dog, to not do that. If they are really serious about not wanting to do it, they're not going to do it. Right. Um,
1: and I think that's when people say, oh, he has selective hearing or he has, you know, my dog is stubborn or whatever. He's a bad
0: dog. He's a stubborn dog. Well, I
1: think that one of the things that we're also saying, too, is that if you start building in communication and cooperation with your dog, the other thing you can add into this is, is make it worth their while to consent. You know, clumbers are notorious for not coming. And actually for a clumber, this is all has to be predicated for a clubber, Clementine has a very good recall. And the reason for that is because Clementine gets rewarded really, really well every time she comes.
0: Yes. So in the end, it goes back to the Mardi Gras example. Right. How badly does he want me to go? And it's totally fine for Christopher to go, you know what? I'm just taking my kiddo. She'll love it. Right. And they'll have a great time. And I'm not going to resent that. Right. If I do, well, then I have some work to do on me. I might need to set aside some of my discomfort in order to be included in something I want to be included on. Right. So it's navigating relationship and connection and connectedness. And it's more like a dance. And it's a dance that hopefully what becomes familiar and comfortable is a dance that works for all of us, not just for one member of the couple or of the family. So there's a little bit of, I am often saying to people, if you wouldn't do it to a toddler, don't do it to your dog, right? I would not fold up a toddler and put them in a chair unless it was, there was an absolute emergency that I had no choice other than to you completely usurp that child's authority. And I would be apologizing and making it up to them as soon as it was safe to do so, Right. I have absolutely said to a child, do it now and don't argue with me because it was an emergency. But as soon as the crisis is over, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm going to fix that. So, for example, Marco was just terribly ill. He was hospitalized. He and I will be going back to where he was hospitalized and do a lot of happy visits where he doesn't get stuck with needles and he's not handled by terrifying strangers and he's not in awful pain, so that I recover some of the ground that we likely lost because it was a big, scary emergency where we didn't have any real choices.
1: I really love that example. I think that's really terrific. The other thing I want to encourage people with kids to think about is if you help your dog understand that I can say no to being touched, I can be I can say no to being played with. And you teach your kids how to respect that, you're going to have a much better relationship between your dog and your kids. I think consent becomes really important because especially if you have an older dog who may or may not want to play as long as the kids want to play. And I think teaching kids how to recognize when the dog is saying I'm done or no, I don't want to do this right now, will really help to keep the relationship between the two of them much smoother and much happier. So I think that the idea of consent is not just so that your dog becomes compliant, but so that everybody in the family begins to understand what it means to respect the dignity of the other members of the family. And so I think that this is something to think about And you might find that as kids begin to understand consent with the dog, they might actually be willing to extend consent to their brothers and sisters as well. And so I think that this can be something that's bigger than just helping your dog feel comfortable. I think this can be a really tremendous life lesson for
0: us and for our kids, as
1: well as a way to manage our dogs in a more effective manner.
0: Right. So it's just... This article is fantastic. I love that this idea, I often talk about it as agency, right? Being able to say, my dog's ability to say no thank you has, in my experience, resulted in far more yes please, much more tolerance for things that they're uncomfortable with. They're willing to tolerate it more because they know that they don't have to struggle or argue, or fight with me, or say mean things in order to be let out of the situation. So what I'm getting is the exact opposite of what I feared would happen. I get dogs who opt in way more often and with less resistance to opting in because they know that at any moment they can say, I'm out, and that they're not going to have a negative consequence over that. So, you know, it's things like, would you like to read a book and go to the pool? Or would you like to go for a walk and get ice cream later? There's not a downside to either one. One is, would you like to play in the pool and get your exercise swimming? The other one is, would you like to get your exercise by going for a hike? We're going to get the exercise done either way. So. I'm going to cut Marco's toenails either way. Either it's going to be with a nail board, which he thinks is hysterical, or I'm going to take the time and let him consent one by one to each nail. And that's going to take longer. Either way, the toenails are getting cut, right? And he's not having to escalate. And the husbandry's done. So I don't think this is any different than the dog has to sit before they get to go out of the door. Or the dog has to make eye contact before they get out of the car. That's consent, too. It's just it's formalizing it a little bit.
1: Right. Well, I was just thinking Um, I looked over my desk and there's a note I had written to one of my daughters. And anyway, I made a copy of it. And what I put at the top of it was that I think that the essence of our existence is to be recognized. And that God says to us that he sees and knows us just as he sees and knows all of creation, including the tiny sparrow. And I think that's part of what this boils down to. I think the essence of our dog's existence is they want to be recognized, too. I think all of us want to be recognized for who we are. And part of that recognition of who we are is our ability to say yes or no, to have, as you said, agency, to be able to opt in is part of that core of our being that says, you are seeing me for who I am. And that's what everybody wants.
0: Well, and I I think it's kind of arrogant to assume our dogs don't. Yeah, I think you're right. right. Or, or our kids don't, right? One of the things that always amazes me when I hold an infant is how strong they are, that they're tiny little bundles of muscle. And if they don't want to open their hand girlfriend, you are not opening that hand. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're so strong, right? Because we view them as like this soft, squishy little bag of nothingness. And they're not, they're tough. Puppies, newborn puppies will growl at you. They absolutely have an opinion before their eyes and ears are open, right? So it's so similar. Right. Right. And surely I'm not the only woman who or person who's ever held an infant and gone, okay, you're really strong. You're stronger than I am. Like you already have free will, right? Which is one
1: of the reasons why I think people say, "Here, take it back." They hand it back to the mother because it's scary. Because this thing is 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 both
0: this thing's gonna go on. Yeah, it's both fragile
1: and really <laughs> strong. It, that's the thing to me that is so miraculous about horses. Horses are such huge, strong creatures, but they're. So so delicate too, you know, their legs are so delicate. And and I think it's that there's a beauty in that balance. But I think there's, that's also reflected in the essence of who we are, that there's strength and fragility in our essence, and that needs to be recognized
0: and honored. Well, and who, and who are you going to follow in a leadership role? Someone who's trying to boss you around all the time and ignores when you're uncomfortable and when you're hurt and whatever, or the person who knows you pretty well and doesn't ask you to work significantly outside of your gifting. Like my dogs are all, hopefully, are always moving in a trajectory of even better. Yes. Right? Our relationship is even better. I set my sights on a relationship that the only way I'd be okay with our parting is if I went first. That is my goal for what a treasure my animals are with me. That is my goal with Christopher. That is my goal with my daughter. That is the goal with Christopher's children. To me, that is a laudable goal. And it means I don't get to usurp their authority terribly often. Right.
1: Okay. So I think that what we're looking at here is something that is both practical as well as philosophical, that there's an emotional aspect, there's a practical aspect, and there's, you know, a moral or physio- or, or philosophical aspect to the, the whole thing here. But it's basically boils down to agency and respect. And if you want a, a practical way of figuring this out and how to learn about your dog's body language, we've got lots of information on dog's body language and we certainly give you links to that. And we'll give you links to this article, Does Your Dog Opt-In, by Pat Miller. Nice little test. She gives you some good information on how to do it. And just give some thought to the idea that, you know, cooperation and trust will help you build that relationship that you are really looking for in your dog. That's going to be one that is going to be fulfilling on both sides.
0: And sweeten the deal. Don't start with toenails. (laughs) That's right. Don't start with toenails. Right. Even even your OBGYN knows not to start with the grand finale. That's true. They start with, hi, how are you today and taking your temperature and your blood pressure. Right. They don't start with the big show. I had someone recently go, well, I mean, I tried to take this consent thing to heart for you and my dog will never opt in for toenails. And I was like, well, not if you pick it a scab. Right, not if they have three seconds to consent and that's it. Like, for goodness sakes, blow in her ear, right? Like, teach your dog consent and agency in other forms and then walk it into the things that are perhaps a dicier subject, right? I wasn't asking Christopher this morning to tell me exactly when and how and how expensive it would be to do the repair we need to do. It was an opening conversation of expectations and whether it was in his gifting or not, and what he thought about it. Like, are we going to have to hire it out? Can he do it? Can we do it? Would it be a fun thing to do together? What does he think about all that, right? It was just the beginning of a conversation. So start a conversation with your dog by asking them, would you like me to touch you? And if your dog goes, not right now, go, okay, I'll ask again later. Play hard to get that's right
1: so start with petting that's probably a good one start with petting and then work towards toenails but i wouldn't go petting right to toenail but you're right start with the uh hello how are you so anyway so we hope that this has given you some food for thought and some things to to mull over on how you can improve the relationship that you have with your dog and we'll see you all next time on your family dog
0: Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.